Wonder Things Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, episode 94. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Suzanne Church. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come on to the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we go deep. We dive deep into the quagmire of the notion of idea, (laughs) deeper and deeper to transform your raw idea into literary Literary gold. gold. <laughs> awesome. Yes, indeed. We're we're like the deep sea divers. We're like uh oh god, what was that TV show with the submarine? Uh Sequest. Oh yeah, Sequest. Yes, that was yeah. awesome. I love that show. Yes, that's us. We are we're like story quest. We're diving deep. <laughs> uh Suzanne Church, uh Canadian author, yes? Yes, yes. Yes, indeed. Yes. Appearing in many of the year's best of for, for that esteemed country. Uh, uh, YA author and uh, also sci-fi fantasy. There's really no limit to your to your genre inclinations, is there? No, I write it all. Sci-fi, fantasy, horror, young adult, adult. Yeah. Squeaky <laughs> clean, you know, rated R, the whole nine yards. That's yeah. huge. That's awesome. And, and huge respect for that because as I'm a little younger in my writing career than you or our guest host. And and I, I find myself gravitating towards specific genres just as a comfort zone. And I think as we discussed a week ago during the 20 minutes with that, the more that you write, the more not only the, the, the more stamina you get as a writer, but also I think maybe the more more diverse your creativity can be uh, uh, in the context of the types of stories you write. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And quite frankly, not only do I write in each one of those genres, but a lot of my stories tend to have pieces of all of them together in the same place. Interesting. I think the very first short story I ever wrote was a sci-fi comedy mystery. (laughs) So if you're going to go, go just hit all the bases that you can. There you go. Mash everything together to see what comes up. That's so cool. Awesome. Well, let, let's dive into this. I'm, I'm, I'm keen to roll into the brainstorm, and we can't do that until we bring our guest host back. So, dear friends, uh, fresh from a fabulous 20 minutes with of just seven days ago, uh, please welcome back to the big chair here at the round table, Jake Bible. Jake, dude, it was a delight to, to, to dive into your creative process, your mojo last week, but dude, I am seriously pumped at the prospect of brainstorming a story with you thanks for coming back man oh thanks for having me back it's it's like coming home you know? <laughs> oh, oh that's sweet thank you thank you and and for that we're gonna like stencil your name on the back of that chair that's awesome <laughs> dude you've got such a prolific canon uh, uh of stories spanning so many genres so many reader uh, audiences from mid-grade to ya to adult uh, uh, and I know that with the head of steam that you have built up and the and the projects that you have in the works, that the, the months and years ahead must be strewn out before you like jewels uh, uh, on, a, on a path to Mecca or something. So so <laughs> indulge our listeners, if you would let them know what's what's coming up for Jake Bible in the coming weeks and months. Uh, in the coming weeks and months, she's, I just had a deep sea thriller horror novel. Blood cruise just came out. Yeah. last week. Um, and that one's, it was a heck of a lot of fun. I mean, international crime bosses, 
deep covert black ops agents, high stakes poker, and then a tentacled blood sucking monster. I was so, going to say, you know, throw tentacles into that. You've got to, you've got to, you got to smash it. Yeah, you got Damn, a winner. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and then coming out next month uh, will be Salvage Merc One, which is about as opposite as Blood a Blood Cruise as you can get. Um, it's it's basically about an ex space marine who's now a salvage mercenary. Um, and he's actually sent out to salvage the founder of the organization he now works for who um, is lost in space. Ooh. So that's that's good space marine fun. That's what that is. And is that a standalone <laughs> or is that a part of the, yep. the Bible verse? No, no, that it could probably fit somewhere, but I'm not being specific. It's, it's <laughs> definitely going to be a standalone novel of its, you know, on it on its own. Right. Cool. There. Cool. So yeah. tentacles and crime bosses, space opera salvagers. What else? There's going to be audiobooks coming out um, pretty soon. Uh, Metal and Ash, the third in my Apex trilogy, just came out. Um, I'm going to have uh, Mega Four, uh, which is the fourth in my Team Grendel um, series. Uh, that's that's going to be coming out in audio shortly. Uh, and then I'm going to dive back behind the mic and start recording my own audiobooks. So all the ones that haven't been produced yet, I'm going to get out there and start putting them out because I've got so many people just, they love my beautiful whoa, voice. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So. Put on the brake. Put on the brakes. <laughs> Put on the brakes, motherfucker. Um, hey, you're making the rest of us look bad. You're like that new guy. You're like the new guy in the factory that doesn't understand that if you make money, you just make the rest of us make 10. You make well, your ass. Well, no, See, now, hold on a sec. Now, Jake, now I have heard you on podcasts and on blogs talk about how you don't have time to do exactly what you say you're going to be doing. And that is that your time would be better spent writing than being behind the mic. What changed? Well, producing my own audiobooks, which would be going through ACX, which, you know, distributes to Audible and iTunes somehow turns out to be lucrative oh so, there it is there oh, it is. the time is paid for <laughs> hello mortgage payment yeah. there we go well and and back in the day when you were when you were talking when you when you gave up podcasting for a brief time yeah. uh, uh back then audible and acx didn't exist uh, uh, and no, that model no. that financial model of audiobooks hadn't been turnkey like it is now no, no. Yeah. And I was podcasting novels for free, which was great. I mean, it helped get me on the map and I've, I still have good friends that were fans from that podcast to this day. Uh, but then, you know, doing it for free, it didn't make sense to take the time sure, I needed to be sure. writing and getting stuff out there. But now I'm, I've already written the books and now I just have to narrate them and produce them and put them out there. And it's, it's money on the table. That's awesome. It's just sitting there. So that's fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Well, and let me ask you, what about conventions? Uh, are you making any cons this year? Probably the only one I'm going to hit in 2016 will be Con Carolinas in Charlotte. Um, I think that's the first weekend of June, um, just because there, there's where the time crunch comes in. If I'm going to be writing books and I'm going to be recording books... I don't have time to go anywhere. And <laughs> uh, also minimizes so 2016 the- is, yeah, it's, it's a sparse con year just cause I've got to gear down and get everything sure, done. <laughs> sure. And it minimizes the chances of you and Cooley being in the same room. So that, that, that is true. We don't want the universe to end. That's right. So. That's right. Thank <laughs> you. For don't that. cross the streams. Don't cross the streams. That's yeah, right. Exactly. That's right. Uh, and with those two, that, 
phrase takes on a whole new connotation. <laughs> uh, Suzanne, let me turn the mic over to you. Uh, uh, clearly, you also have a, a, a veritable cornucopia of short fiction uh, uh, and collections coming out. What's, what's coming up for you in the coming weeks and months? Actually, what's coming up is my first book in Hellmaw is coming out at the end of January. Booyah! Yeah, and it's book one in a trilogy. Ooh, tell yeah. us. Give us what and what I, can you tell us? What can you tell us? Well, it's called Soul Larcenist, and it's about uh, a serial killing demon that can collect souls Ooh. in uh, the handle of his dagger. And there's another demon chasing him, trying to catch him and stop him from being such a general asshat, basically. <laughs> so is this like NCIS meets <laughs> demons? Is this, is that? Yeah, yeah. Just... It's it's. I, I think when I pitched it originally, it was think Dexter, but with demons. But, there we uh, go. There yeah, we but go. in this case, the the serial killer is not the good guy. So that's but badass. the good guy is a demon, and uh, you know that's all I'm going to tell you. And <laughs> this, the second book I think is coming out the following. January 2017 right. and then there'll be another one I think in in October November of the same year. So I've got the three Helmont books coming out within the next 2 years. That's going to keep you busy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so every month is Nano Rimo. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Exactly. So no no room for other little creative sidelines, maybe a short story or something in there. Do you oh think? yeah. Well I'm I'm writing a couple of short stories in the Helma universe. One that's going to be um an adult story and one that's gonna be more general population kind of thing. And uh I'm also writing uh another fantasy story in the Yonder Librum universe uh in in one of Ed's Fantasy Worlds, and that's coming out in 2017 as well. And then I've gotten a couple of invitations for some anthologies I can't really talk about, but uh, those <laughs> stories are in the hopper. And I, I came up with... Uh, one, what a lot of people don't know about me is I'm actually... I have a math degree. I have a degree in mathematics. Ooh. And uh, I've never really used the math in any of my short fiction, but there's a story coming up that I finally got an idea of how to incorporate math and... and uh, speculative fiction together and i think i'm gonna see how that turns out see nerds and geeks everywhere just went squee that's I awesome. know, don't, it's nothing like a good chart to make <laughs> you feel better yeah. well and that's the cool thing about the under liberum project too is that you know whatever you feel like writing there's a market right there once once you're in the sensorium of creatives uh uh the doors are wide open and you can write and publish uh, a whole raft of tales that's fabulous suzanne what about cons do you do you do conventions at all you know, I used to do a lot of conventions. I've been to Dragon Con a whole bunch of times. I've I've actually worked for the Daily Dragon, the newspaper at at Dragon Con, and I was supposed to go to Gen Con this past year, 2015, but uh, I injured my knee. I tore the meniscus in two places oh, in my knee. You took an and, arrow uh, in the knee, didn't you? Yeah, pretty much. That's exactly <laughs> the problem. I used to do this until I took an arrow to the knee. Yeah. So <laughs> since I've done the whole, you know, bang up my knee beyond recognition thing, I've really had to kind of rethink my con schedule, and I actually canceled a whole bunch of appearances in 2015 because of the knee. Mm. And uh, I'm now kind of rethinking, focusing on the writing and less conning, even though I really am missing it so far. But uh, I'm going to try to mesh the two together. I'm actually going to ICFA in March. Uh, ICFA. Which I, Spell I've never that. Before. It's <laughs> ICFA, the International Conference of the Fantastic arts or something i forget what the the four that initials sounds are. cool I've never but it's heard march of that. break and it's in florida 
<laughs> no brainer. Okay. Mark's break, Florida. You know, this is yeah. a good thing. Especially for a Canadian. It's like, yeah, I'm ready for, for a break. Let's, let's, let's hit Florida. Top March, I just want to keep driving south. And it's, it's interesting that uh, another one that I've considered going to several times is Con Carolinas. And a bunch of my friends go to that convention that used to go to Dragon Con, but don't go anymore because the crowds are so crazy. Yeah, now you I go. Try. You got you so, a friend there. You got Jake there. Yeah. yeah so I might totally. actually think about, I've, I've, I've had a lot of people pushing me to, to try going to Con Carolinas. Very cool. Well, I will make sure all of that for both you, Suzanne, and you, Jake, get into the liner notes so that our listeners can make with the clicky click and check out all the fabulosity that you guys are pouring out into the world. That's awesome. But right now, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pause for just a moment and give some podcast airtime to a, another podcast or, or an ebook or some Kickstarter program, some, some glorious thing that's happening out there. And when we come back, Jake, Suzanne, I would love to brainstorm a story with you. What do you say? I'm in it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> We have consensus. We have an accord. (laughs) (laughs) Friends, don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. Do you like listening to audio science fiction? Are you a fan of writers reading their work? My name is Mike Luoma. By day, I play tunes on the radio. The rest of the time, I'm creating science fiction and comic books. And I bring my two worlds together each week with my glow-in-the-dark radio podcast, where I read you my stuff. You hear free science fiction audio adaptations every week. And I give away the audio versions after I've podcast them, too. Free science fiction audiobooks on iTunes and at audiobooks.com. I hope you'll check out my glow-in-the-dark radio podcast or any of my free science fiction audiobooks at glowinthedarkradio.com. I'm Mike Luoma. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, friends. And now we get down to the business at hand. The reason why you're here, the reason why we're all here, the story brainstorm. And that does not happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding forth to set the table for our brainstorming feast. And dear friends, our guest writer for this episode is an avid reader, writer, gamer, and all-around harebrain. And you'll get that joke in a second. (laughs) His love of fantasy fiction was kindled in the fifth grade when his teacher read the entire Chronicles of Narnia aloud to the class. Talk about a catalyzing moment. Uh, He has taught English in Korea, has worked for bookstores and book publishers, and quite frankly, has had enough of pushing other people's books. He's going to write some of his own And that's why he's here. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the round table, AJ Hare, you harebrain you. AJ, dude, (laughs) it is never easy to step up and expose your child to to the callous handlings and fondlings of of this group in particular, but anytime. So, man, hats off to you. Kudos for your bravery and courage. Uh, I promise we'll be gentle. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much for uh, for including me in this. Absolutely. Now, AJ, you're part of the under crowd too, right? Yeah, that's right. What's what story setting are you uh, bending your thoughts towards? 
Uh, well, right now I've written a short story for the Helmoth setting, uh-huh. and I also have um, a soft yes on preparing some uh, Helmoth content for the RPG when it comes out. Very cool, yeah, and that's another fabulous thing about the Under Project, is that every story can also turn into an RPG, uh, and that can be sold too, I love that project. That's badass, dude. So Helmaw is kind of your 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 wheelhouse at this point. Right now, yes. Uh, I, having looked at all of the stuff on Onder Librum, it's just so, as I say, I'm harebrained. I want to jump into everything, but one thing at a time. Understood. Understood. I think that's prudent. I think that's prudent. And I think we. I think I'm really kind of keen now to figure out uh, to to get down to the business at hand. Uh, uh, you know how this works, AJ. We give you five to eight minutes. Introduce us to your story. Give us the title, the genre. Uh, give us a tagline. Give us the themes of the story. Uh, introduce us to the world and the characters. Give us some some basic tent poles of the story, and and that will kick us off into a conflagration of of a, of a brainstorm maelstrom. So I'm I'm gonna get out of the way. I'm done talking. The mic, sir, is all yours. All right. <clears throat> the title of my story is "You of Zed." It's a zombie apocalypse story with a twist. It'll be written from the third-person perspective and follow the main characters. I've yet to decide if it will turn out to be a dark comedy, drama, or possibly even a tragedy, and I hope that the brainstorm will help me determine which is the best fit. My hook line is, An unambitious frat boy must discover the will to help others and save the world from the zombie apocalypse before he succumbs to the affliction himself. The themes in my story involve self-discovery, redemption, and not judging a book by its cover. U of Z is set in the present day at a fictional university somewhere in the United States. A natural pheromone is discovered that increases activity in the brain's frontal lobe. Then a concentrated synthetic version of the pheromone is created with unexpected side effects. The test subjects start producing the pheromone themselves, increasing the exposure exponentially while spreading it to others. Mental activity amplifies like a fusion reaction until the body cannot keep up and the subjects adopt the characteristics of zombies. Zombies are the smartest people in the world, but their bodies are unable to adapt to their new mental state. The characters involved in this story, we begin with the protagonist, Peter Wheaton. He's in his first year attending university. Pete's greatest strengths are his focus and his perseverance. His mother raised him alone to be like herself, straight-laced and severe with the belief that leisure was wasteful and friendships a distraction. She takes ill and a rift forms between them before she dies. What he wants most in the world is to make peace with his mother, but he knows this is impossible now. His greatest fear is that he will die lonely and friendless like his mother did. At the beginning of the story, Pete believes that life should be about fun, Pete worries, however, that his mother would be terribly disappointed in him if she were still alive. By the end of the story, he's learned to balance the strict determination from his upbringing with his desire to enjoy life. The second protagonist is Kim Scotts, the graduate student who discovered the pheromone. Her greatest strength is her positivity. She loves to travel and wants to live life to its fullest. More than anything else, she wants to make the world a better place and her greatest fear is becoming stuck in a particular place. At the beginning of the story, she is optimistic and idealistic. She trusts too easily and shares too openly. 
By the end of the story, she has learned that there are people in the world not to be trusted and that money can have a profound influence over the integrity of others. The primary antagonist of the story is Dr. Calding. He is a doctor of neurology and a professor at the school. His greatest strength is his ability to lie. He's a schemer, adept at stealing credit from and deflecting blame to others. His greatest fear is losing the upper hand in any situation, and he wants to be rich more than anything else in the world. At the beginning of the story, he is greedy and believes that the ends justify the means. By the end of the story, he's learned that, as good a liar as he is, there are times when the truth must be told. A second antagonist is Landon Gentry III, a 4.0 Dean's List varsity quarterback and head of a trust fund upper crust fraternity. His greatest strength is his charisma. He revels in the attention and deference others show to him and is angered by those who fail to show him the respect he believes he deserves. He wants to be respected and feared more than anything else in the world. And his greatest fear is that someone else will upstage him and he will be forgotten. At the beginning of this story, he is arrogant and conceited. He believes himself to be peerless. At the end of the story, he's a zombie. But if he is cured, he will both be thankful and resentful that he was saved by Pete. <laughs> now the story of U of Z. The story begins with the establishment of a feud between Pete and Landon in Dr. Calding's introductory psychology class. Landon shames Pete in front of the class, but Pete stands up to him. Landon is furious there's someone he cannot intimidate. Their fraternities, who already have a history, immediately become involved. The story shifts to a meeting between Dr. Calding and Kim Scotts. They are discussing her research of the pheromone. She's passionate about using it to improve the world, whereas Dr. Calding is interested only in money. He synthesizes a concentrated version of the pheromone on his own. He then exposes students to the synthetic pheromone without their knowledge. Dr. Calding rationalizes the action as necessary to have his results before Kim. Landon, who had the highest exposure to the pheromone, shows signs of increased intelligence immediately. He becomes more arrogant as his successes pile up, both academically and in his feud with Pete. Dr. Calding is thrilled to see the results, so he contacts the CIA to sell them his product. He then observes that the GPAs across the school are improving. He suspects that Landon and the other test subjects spread the pheromone to everyone they come into contact with. Dr. Calding is disappointed that his product is now going out free of charge to everyone until he realizes that he's been exposed to it himself. Pete is also annoyed by his fellow students' productivity because it reminds him of his mother's determination. Painful memories are brought back to the surface, so he pushes them down again. Eventually, Landon's body has a difficult time keeping up with his mind, and his actions become uncoordinated. He stumbles, mumbles, and drags his feet. He is taken to a nearby hospital for treatment, followed by the other test subjects. The hospital staff are unable to diagnose, so they contact the Center for Disease Control. Dr. Calding visits them in the hospital to see for himself what his product has done. He is present in the hospital when Landon enters the final stage of transformation. The rest of the university degenerates, and the campus is now full of zombies. The CDC and the CIA become involved and put a quarantine around the school. Observing that he is surrounded entirely by zombies, Pete tries to leave. 
He kills zombies along the way, believing them to be mindless undead like in shows and in movies. He finds that a fence has been built and the soldiers block his exit. Kim returns to campus where she meets Pete as he's trying to leave. He explains the situation, so Kim calls Dr. Calding and learns that he stole her research. She's devastated and her ability to trust in others has been shaken. Dr. Calding has no idea of how to fix things, but tells her where she can find his laptop where he made notes. She despairs at the realization that her discovery has now been used to destroy the world. Pete realizes that no matter how little he does, the affliction will eventually win out. Knowing that the affliction accelerates the more he thinks, he focuses on one thing at a time. He navigates his way around campus to retrieve Dr. Calding's computer, and after a harrowing chase, he is able to deliver the notes to Kim and convinces her to help find a cure. As she experiences the effects of the pheromone, she makes brilliant discoveries, but her mind begins to accelerate to a point beyond her control. Pete uses the lessons he was taught by his mother for focusing on a single task at hand and seeing it through to completion. With the techniques taught by Pete, she is able to focus her mind and find the cure. Pete is tormented in the end by the knowledge that even though the zombies were trying to get him, they still could have been cured if he hadn't murdered them. Bam! Excellent. Well done, sir. Excellent pitch. Thank you. Very cool. All right. Now, what are you hoping to get out of the next 45 minutes or so of brainstorming? I'm definitely looking forward to getting some McGovins and uh, McGovins or getting rid of some McGovins, perhaps. Oh, I love to add in more stuff. (laughs) Very cool. All right. (laughs) And uh, and possibly three new zombies. on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. You've infected us, haven't you, you bastard? Yes, yes. Uh, I'd like to narrow down, should I focus on the comedy route or drama or tragedy? And uh, I have two ideas for the end result of the zombie outbreak, which uh, I'd like some opinion on um, how zombie-like the zombies are. Okay. I think we can discuss that. I think that's, I think that's, I think that's definitely on the table, uh, to be sure. So, but before we can dive into this, we need to cover our ass. So, Suzanne, would you be so kind as to read the patented Roundtable podcast disclaimer, please? Absolutely. So, AJ, you're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. And it's important for you to realize that everything said from this point forward by myself, by Dave, or by uh, Jake might be complete and utter, I kid you not, bullshit of epic proportions. (laughs) This is your story. You decide what to use and what to cast aside. Are you good with that? Absolutely. Let's do it. Awesome. All right. Very cool. We're covered. We can roll into this bad boy. And we let always the cruelty begin. Let the, yes. Let the, yes, indeed. It's like writer Thunderdome. Four At writers enter. Well, <laughs> well, and we always kick it off with a quick once around the table just to get some first impressions, establish some talking points for later in the brainstorm, and to ask some questions of AJ about things that maybe didn't necessarily make sense in that first go around. And we always start with our guest host. So, Jake Bible, start us off, sir. What were your first impressions of AJ's story? And, and did you have any questions for the gentleman? Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a very good premise. Um, first question, I, I'm assuming U of, now you say Z of being American, I say Z. U yes. of Z is like University of Z. So it's just, that's not Y-O-U, but just the letter U, correct? Correct. 
Okay, yeah, you bastard. That's a great title. <laughs> um, <laughs> that really is just, I can see the cover and everything. I was thinking the same title. thing. Yeah. That's just like, oh, why did I come up with that? From um, the guy who came up with the Z Burbia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I tip yeah. my hat. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess my other question, and this may come up later, but. Um, the the zombies that you've created are they flesh eaters? Because I I didn't quite hear that. I don't think, or maybe I missed that. No, I didn't hear it either. I do have uh, two different ideas, and I would like to run them by you. And go ahead, real quick, you, real quick, yeah. toss them out. All right. At some point, the zombies would need to feed because they are still living. They are not undead. So yes, there is the potential for feeding on other flesh because. Zombies eating zombies is the closest uh, flesh that they can eat. Um, the mm. other option I had uh, thought of was since they are still human living flesh, at some point they would eventually starve themselves to death. And there would be this apocalyptic pandemic across the world. It's an extinction event. What do you okay. think, Jake? Which, which one are you gravitating towards? That's that's well. They're two. They're two totally different things. That's, <laughs> we can that put really a pin depends in, on where you. Let's yeah, put a pin in that for now. We'll talk about it after, yeah. once we get into it. Cool. Exactly. Cool, cool. Yeah. Very cool. Then I'll turn it over to Suzanne. Suzanne, first impressions and any questions of clarification. Yeah, my my first question, which is kind of a what if question more than a clarification question, was: Does the mother have to be dead? Because if you do decide to go the comedy route, I think there would be more room for comedy uh, if he occasionally has to interact with his mother throughout all of this. You know, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, she she doesn't have to. You're absolutely right. I, I can imagine care packages coming delivered to his dorm room, yeah. running from zombies. Yeah, yeah or, or the or the phone call, you know. I hope you're studying really hard, Mom. I'm being chased by zombies, but I really need you to focus on school. Oh, you know, this grab is a really machete. Support. Don't grab a baseball bat. Grab a exactly. machete. It's much more practical. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, Suzanne. I think that's a great idea. Any other questions for for AJ as you move forward? Uh, no, I think I'm 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 curious to see what what the others have about some certain uh, segments, but I'm gonna wait and feel the pitch kind of fill itself out a bit more. I think that's a good idea. I think you know, hold your cards close. You never know what's gonna yeah, come. Out. Yeah, yeah. This is well, poker. <laughs> that's right. Story <laughs> poker, plot poker, baby. Uh, Ag, I I love the the frame that you built this on. I think a zombie uh, uh, apocalypse. Uh, uh, makes sense in a, in, a, in a college campus. I don't know if that's been done before or not, and if not, holy crap, dude, uh, do it. I think it's I think it's it's very cool. One thing that struck me uh, uh, was the idea of before they become zombies, uh, they become very very smart. And I think in one of our conversations before the show, you had mentioned that uh, uh, when you're smart and you think a lot. You become you accelerate the, the the contamination. You become a zombie faster. So smart people are more susceptible to this than stupid people, right? Absolutely. Well, it's more the amount of thought that goes on, the the rampant yeah. ideas. Right, right, right. And those so, who are kind of mellow and lethargic just don't happen as quickly. So everybody on the call right now, we're fucked. We're we're, we're all going to turn <laughs> into zombies. Got it. Um, what strikes me is that this could be a very cool satire, a mashup between idiocracy and the commentary of idiocracy and animal house, which kind of had the same themes as well. 
but that again, that's that was my first impression. We can put a pin in that as well. I did have a couple of questions. Uh, we answered the zombie one, so that's cool. Um, Calding, Calding's background, uh, uh, and Landon's both. Uh, uh, Calding's afraid of losing the upper hand, and he wants to be rich. Why? Yeah. What what is you know, it about him that that makes those things a goad for him? I I haven't really delved that far into his backstory to come okay. up with a, a decent okay. answer. So cool. maybe that's something we can work on. Definitely, definitely, cool, cool, cool. And um, my my biggest thing was some of the some of the characters, uh, uh, their their foundational components maybe need to be can be shorn up a little bit. Uh, Kim in particular doesn't seem to have a lot of agency. Uh, uh, and I have some ideas on that. I'm sure Kim and Suzanne do too. Uh, uh, and Pete also doesn't seem to figure as prominently in the narrative as being first protagonist. He kind of needs to be involved in everything at some point. So maybe we can look at that as well. Why isn't Pete affected by, you know, but Pete looks around and says, holy crap, I'm surrounded by zombies. I got to get out of here. Why isn't Pete a zombie too? Well, he has the underlying pheromones in him, but because of his leisurely attitude, you know, spends time and uh, watching TV and that kind of thing, his his brain is on a lower function than most of the rest of the school. So He's being looking at a just slacker past. saves him. Absolutely. <laughs> There's a message. <laughs> I love that. I, I think I think that has some potential too. Uh, all right, very cool. Then let's dive into this. Uh, Jake, where do you want to start off, man? Where do you want to uh, dive into this and start tweaking and adjusting? Well, uh, you know, having written a couple zombie books uh, myself, yeah, yeah. yeah the, I, I think you have to define what the zombies are going to be, what their characteristics are going to be, what their motivation is going to be, what, you know, you, you really have to, they're going to be the fuel that's, you know, pushing this engine of a plot along. Um, so you have to decide, are these going to be flesh eater zombies? Um, are they going to... You know, just waste away. Are they more your classic, you know, like original hoodoo voodoo zombies where, you know, the conscious mind is trapped inside the shambling body? Um, that has to be kind of decided. Well, um, and Jake, how does that affect how does that affect the story? Uh, uh, and that might help in terms of making a choice as we move forward. Well, you know, what, what does that do to the story when we decide? Well, that's that's it's it's the class the classic you know question is fast zombies slow zombies okay so let's 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 assume you know zombies they eat flesh they eat the living they're the undead whatever um, when I wrote my my novel Dead Mech I had to have fast zombies because the heroes were in these fifty foot tall you know robot mech armor and slow zombies wouldn't be adversaries. <laughs> Stomp along, squishing zombies. You know, there's there's no story there. It's over real fast. (laughs) (laughs) So they had to be fast zombies, so they could literally swarm and overpower these giant war machines. So that's where you have to decide. I mean, you know, well, it seems what type of zombies they're going to be is going to dictate how these characters act, how the plot moves along, how the outer community how the government reacts how i mean how everybody reacts to them well and um, I, th- I think given the given the physiology that that, that right. aj laid out that basically it increases frontal lobe and there's this peak of creativity and excitement and thought yeah. and then you kind of burn out uh i'm i'm thinking you know it kind of makes sense that you know the 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 body is now craving brain juices 
in order to sustain that that heightened level of of mental activity. So it right. makes sense that they would go chomping on brains because that's it, that, that's a great source. It, it, it does, and actually, my my first instinct was to make them slow and fast zombies, uh, slow, you know, as they're just moving around and everything until that hunger kicks in Ooh, nice and then they're like i need that brain i am cracking that skull open i am gonna chase that mofo down until i'm getting a taste of that cerebral cortex and that's you know that adds you have variability so you can have your protagonists you know dealing with their slow state mm-hmm. and you can have the protagonist dealing with the fast oh my god he's gonna eat my brain state yeah um it gives you different you know story chances there directions to go um well so you and you also it up, have slow it down you also have was, smart zombies you right know, they're not dumb either they're you know they, they might have some hampered brain functions but they're they're they can they can be fast and they can be smart which makes them uncharacteristic zombies what do you got suzanne yeah, I was thinking they'd, they'd almost be like the tool user zombies. If you think of traditional zombies as being essentially brain dead, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're just staggering around. They're not really capable of thinking things through. But if these are really complex thinker zombies, right, yeah. they could be... They could create traps for humans. You know, they could build the little spike hole and cover it over with a with a mat. The kinds of things that we would traditionally use to catch a zombie or stop a zombie would be the tools that the zombies would be using to catch humans. Yeah. Be, you know, a reversal of roles, so to speak. And depending on the skills that get ex- accelerated, you could have like zombie painters who are painting perfect landscapes uh, uh, that, that, that fool. <laughs> that you the... just run into the wall yeah, exactly. thinking it's the way out. Right? Exactly. <laughs> And, and as you were talking about that, I was thinking, God, the first thing that the smart zombies are going to do is they're going to take over the nuclear physics wing of the school and create a... a, a uh, no, we're not going to create mechs, uh, uh, but they can start creating some a funky... Hole, a wormhole to another planet. <laughs> well, I'm thinking they could, they could be creating some incredibly high tech, which would then, with the government coming in, maybe the government doesn't want to put them out. Maybe they just want to control them and use the tech that yeah, they're creating. Them or capture mm. them and use them to yes. create tech, right? Exactly. Because the ultimate, like basically, you know, the humans would be, oh, just kill them. I don't want to be eaten by them. But the but the the CIA and the and the, the CDC would be like, let's capture them and study them. You know, yeah, think yeah. of all the cool stuff we will learn if we catch one of these. Right. There's and- there's there's also, I mean, you could you could go with the plot of while they're still functional they've created something that's basically a doomsday device and then they progress so far that they're yes. no longer functional and now the government's like we need to help find a cure we need to figure it out because we need to, these bastards to shut this down we don't even understand what they've built exactly exactly <laughs> well i was just thinking you know your your main protagonist this landon guy right he's the, he's the classic uh, frat boy that we all despise, right? He's got a thousand followers. You know, he's got these minions. Everybody looks up to him. He's so smart. He's so great. He's Mr. Football. He's everything, right? Imagine if he's like the leader of the other zombies and he's he's the key organizer, right? Like Because he's one of the first ones to become a zombie. So you would think that his 
abilities. Yeah. His his Ooh. power, so to speak, his zombie powers would be more advanced than everyone else's because he's had longer for them to brew. Right? Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he could be the ultimate villain in the sense that you know not only is he a zombie, but now he he controls all these other zombies too because he, they they were his minions before and they're going to become his minions again, but in this new kind of darker, crueler right. way. Right, and you could even have a progression, an escalation halfway through where Landon, because he was like one of the first exposed, manifests some, you know, telepathic zombie power or something. I don't know. Uh, uh, <laughs> but 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 work, you know, building an escalation that these guys aren't done evolving, that the virus reaches this larval stage and they think they killed Landon in Act 3, Scene 1, thank goodness, but no, he's just morphing into the uber zombie uh, uh, that, mm. that comes out at the end. Yeah, God, so so much yeah. fun and just and just imagine a whole frat full of guys that have perfected the art of hazing right uh-huh. we're now zombies coming after you to eat you they're Ooh. not just going to haze you they're going to eat you i just had right? a, i just had a thought what if calding is landon's father mm. and mm. and calding uh uh you know at some points because and i like that because it brings up a parallel between landon and pete uh, uh, right. And maybe Landon and Pete kind of, you know, Pete is obviously dealing with his mother's expectations and, and her lifestyle and, and trying to become himself, which is what you do at college, uh, uh, and, and is rebelling dramatically, almost violently against his mother's precepts. Maybe Landon's kind of doing the same thing. Uh, 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 I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I just I like the idea of having a parallel where Landon and Pete can actually have a similarity and a connection of some kind. Right. Just tossing yeah, that there's, out there. There, there's different places that you could go with that. He could be the, his faculty advisor. He could be, um, you know, the mentor that, that sponsored Landon mm-hmm. somehow in some mm-hmm. big corporate, whatever, you know, their buddies on the golf course, something, right. There needs right. to be a connection there. Why did yeah. he choose Landon first? Right. That's the big question. Why was Landon chosen? Right. Okay, I do have an answer to that. Um, oh, okay. I, think, I guess I dropped it off of the uh, the pitch, but uh, he was supposed to be, uh, Landon is supposed to be the TA. Oh, he's called his oh, TA. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So they okay. have a, a business, or not business, a working relationship uh, between the two of them. Well, and that could, you know, that could be more than just that. That could be, you know, maybe maybe Calder tr- sees him as a mentor. Maybe Landon sees Calder as a father figure. There's there's opportunities there to build yeah. those parallels in. I think. Or or Calder sees Landon as funding source. If he is this, you know, rich kid, you oh, know, yeah. and he comes from <laughs> money, then Calder sees him as making him a TA to butter him up because really he's trying to get to his family's money. Right. Yeah, he just wants those pockets, those deep, deep pockets. He just wants those yeah. deep pockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the two pro tags. I'm concerned about Pete not being as involved in the narrative as, as at least I feel a protagonist should be. There's not enough opportunities for us to see him in action uh, uh, and see his evolution as a character. And I'm concerned about Kim because she doesn't have a lot of agency. A lot of things are happening to her rather than her initiating anything. She's told stuff. She needs Pete to, to, to get through the final thing, whatever the final thing is. And I'd like to kind of turn her around. Jake, do you got any suggestions for either Pete or Kim? Yeah, no, I, I, think, <coughs> I think Kim should actually be the focal point, not, not necessarily the protagonist, but she's the one who brings about whatever the climax is between 
Pete um, and and Landon um, make her if Pete's the slacker and Landon's the you know super successful scion and on all of this, make her the middle of the road. Uh, make her, you know, the happy medium kind of between those two. That would be a way to actually, you know, give her a lot more. Um, she's, you know, somehow having to deal with, you know, Pete, who probably frustrates her like insane, and Landon, who could probably disgust her on, on certain levels too. <laughs> but um, she's good enough that. that she can bridge both of those worlds. Right, exactly. And then okay. as for Pete, you know, we had talked about the mom not being dead. What if she is in a coma in um, the university hospital in, you know, in, you know, with life support and all that, and he just slacks watching her TV in, his, in her room and is basically having constantly having a one-sided conversation but maybe a two-sided conversation where he provides her answers himself. That's um, and, interesting. And you know, if you want to get into the comedy and the satire, I mean, that, that would be great. Then you also have the parallels of her in a comatose vegetative state, which sort of parallels what ends up to people turning into zombies. Right. Yeah, and you could almost be tempted to believe that perhaps the mom could be saved or cured or pulled out of it oh, if she right. would be infected, yeah. right? Because right. the brain would work exactly. faster. Because she would have the same genetics as Pete, so maybe there's something there, the reason he's not being affected somehow. You can, you know, yeah. you can go a little deeper into that, too. But then still just totally explore his slackerness. And it also gives um, Pete a reason to stay on campus. He needs exactly. to save his mom. Yeah. And, mm. and he doesn't have to. He doesn't want to run away. He can't. And, and, yeah. it's, and that's a great crisis point. It's like, oh, shit, the zombies are here. I got to get out of here. Oh, my mom. And now yep. all of the angst and anguish and, and damn it, I, I, I'm, mom, you're just crazy. Now it's, now, now it's do or die. And, and exactly. he makes a choice. That's nice. I like that. I like yep. that a lot. I was yeah, also thinking idea. when you were talking about the, the the maybe the 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 big brains before the zombie breakout were working on a doomsday project. You know, maybe see here's one of the things. Uh, uh, even in the tagline, an unambitious frat boy. Um, there, there's something about having unambitious frat boy be like one of the first words in a tagline that kind of brings the energy down. For yeah. me, and and it's kind of like, well, great. So this is going to be a slacker thing. Maybe, you know, I, I I like the idea of him rebelling against his mother's uh, teachings, but maybe he's maybe he's working. Here's what I'm ultimately getting at in a very long and roundabout way: <laughs> is that he maybe he's worked on that doomsday device. Maybe you know, the, none of the frat brothers know about it. Nobody knows about it. He's been secretly, you know, on the on the development team because he's a genius uh, uh, but he doesn't want anybody to know because that goes against his whole I'm rebelling against my mom's strict dictates thing so in the end when the zombies take over the doomsday device uh, uh, Pete now is in a position to actually be a be a hero and go in and fix things because he's worked on the project right hmm. just a yep. thought uh, Suzanne, what are your thoughts, both on Pete or Kim? Any ideas? Go I was ahead. hoping that Kim would almost become more of a Ripley character. You know, she starts mm. off being the everyday <laughs> woman who's just kind of there 
feeling out where she belongs and kind of backing off, kind of like the, the Ripley and Aliens where, you know, I'm just a consultant. You know, I saw these things are terrible or whatever, but I'm just going to watch and help you out, you know. And then as she sees everything deteriorating, she's the one that steps up when no one else is, especially if Pete ends up being a little bit more of the unambitious side of things, right? She's almost the one that grabs him by, you know, the shirt collar and screams, come on, man, you know, it's your time. Do something. Do something. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and then he can, enlist, since she created the serum, she would be the one he could go to uh, uh, in terms of the possibility of a cure for his mom's coma. Yeah, exactly. So bring mm-hmm. her in. I like that. I, I kind of also was thinking, you know, at, at, at one point you said she she calls Calder and learns that he stole her stuff. Uh, I'd, I'd rather her find that out on her own. Let's make her like Jason Bourne, uh, mm. uh, you know, and, and say, you know, wait a minute. Before the outbreak starts coming up, but symptoms are starting to manifest, you know, I had hypothesized that this could possibly be one and let her go in and dig in and find this out and have her kick Calder's ass uh, uh, or or aggressively go forward and and, you know, take control from him and kick him down, which would then drive Calder to say, oh, no, you don't. And he's going to go and and, like join the zombies and and help his his protege Landon and maybe inject him with another dose, which is just what he needs to become the uber zombie or whatever uh, as villains are wont to do. And, you know, quite frankly, maybe she's also a little bit angry because she was supposed to be the TA, but Landon, because of his money, he got the job, even though she was, Mm. she was smarter. She was more qualified. She would have done a better job, but the only reason Landon got it, you know, was because of the deep pockets. Yeah. it's once again, you know, the woman being sidestepped by, you know, the the money piece or the, right. you know, the, the the male piece, and she's she's determined to prove that she should have been the one, right? She should have been the yeah. one to be called upon. And she's staying and, close to Landon and, and hanging out with him, and and Pete interprets that as like they're going out or something, uh, and so does Landon for that matter. But she's just using him to stay in touch with Calding's work. Yeah, she's essentially waiting for that point of weakness so she can take advantage of it. She looks like she's, you know, in awe of him, but what she's really doing is, you know, setting him building a portfolio to kind of take him down. Nice. Jake, what did you have? Well, the other thing that, you know, she can do is, I mean, if if she really did create the science behind it uh, originally, then maybe she also has the guilt as things start going wrong, thinking she did something wrong. She set it all off, and then she finds out Calder's the son of a bitch that really stole yeah. it all and screwed it all up, you know, yep. of course. Yep. And, you know, she had spent all that time, you know, wasting time feeling guilty over something that was never her fault, and then that also gives her a little, you know, drive towards, you know, <laughs> especially into that you know second and third act of you know that son of a bitch right. is going down yeah um i like that yeah i like that a lot and and she needs to be there aj in that opening scene uh she needs to be in the class when pete uh uh takes down landon and it's it's that's got to be good man because that and that's a perfect opening scene because we can see pete's wit uh and his snark uh, but mostly his wit and and Landon's inability, as good as he is, uh, uh, to deflect somebody as good as Pete, uh, which of course spurs the feud and so on and so forth. Uh, but I think I think Kim needs to be there to see Pete and and realize that wait, this guy isn't a slacker; he's a genius. Wait a minute and start digging into his background, and then 
so so they have a relationship at that point. So when we get to the point where, hey, your serum could cure my mom, it's supported. Does that and make sense? And you can almost right? imagine that very first opening scene, the classroom of kids, you know, students where all of a sudden when Pete calls out Landon, everyone else has that shocked, oh my God look, right? Right. But mm-hmm. she's the one, she's the one that's smiling. She's yes. the one that sees the potential, that sees, you know, that really understands what's just happened. She's not surprised. She's glad. Right. Yeah. How, how many POVs are you looking at for this, AJ? Are you looking at getting in? Are you going to do a lot of head hopping here? I don't want to do too much. Um, so, no, I was only thinking of um, Pete and Kim and possibly Dr. Calding for when he's by his lonesome uh, acting up. Yeah, I'm not sure. Jake, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think you're going to have to go full third person and, you know, maybe not completely omniscient, but yeah, to a certain extent. I think I think if you're going to have that amount of characters and you're going to have the complexity, and especially since basically the whole conceit of it is these people, you know, end up super intelligent but trapped in a shambling zombie body, you're going to have to be in their heads. Right. Um, oh, you're yeah. going to have to show their thought process yeah. to the readers. Otherwise, it's all going to come to a grinding halt of, well, for the next 20 pages, so-and-so shuffles across the commons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Until he sees a brain. Until he sees yeah, a sexy, exactly. sexy brain. So, and, then, yeah. and then your reader wouldn't necessarily know that they're smart inside, even though right. because all that you'll see is the shambling from the outside. Right. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, I think you're going to have to have a few POVs. Yeah, um, yeah, but a know. third person, you know, maybe close or or middle. I think that I think that would yeah. work. Okay, yeah. Suzanne, you down with that? Yeah, I mean, I've always been one to choose, you know, write each chapter from one POV and decide which POV is the one that will show the most and entice the reader the most each time. Right. Right. Yeah. Good point. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. And and Jake, I like your point about the uh, being able to be inside the head of the zombies uh, uh, while that while that trend, while that event or was that you, Suzanne? I forget. Somebody was saying that. It was brilliant. Uh, but being able I said to, it. I think it was Jake. Yeah, it was Jake. <laughs> it, it's a collective brilliance. Uh, yeah. But but Jake, what, what Jake was saying about being in the head of the zombies, I think that's going to be vital. Uh, not only j- just to establish these zombies, and that's one of the very charming things about this story. I think is that these zombies are unique. In, yes. the, in the history of zombie fiction. Uh, uh, they do eat brains. There's a reason why they eat brains, and they're smart, and they can be fast. They're like the triple threat. This is These, these guys are going to bring about the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> AJ, is there anything else you wanted us to dive into or explore? I'm, I'm sure we've, we've heaped your plate of thought. Uh, uh, is there anything else you want us to dig into before we start wrapping up? Uh, no, I, that's fantastic. That's a lot of things to think about. And I'm, I'm starting to feel uh, the zombie-ism taking over in me. So. <laughs> Excellent. Our work is done here. Thank God this is Skype. Because <laughs> I know you've got other sexy brains here that would look tasty to you. Uh, well, good. Then let's let's go ahead and roll into that final stage of the podcast, which is the, the one last time around the table, one last turn around the table uh, uh, where we give final thoughts to AJ. Any ideas you didn't get a chance to, to put out during the the brainstorm proper uh, uh, fill his pockets with literary gold so he can go off and write this intriguing intriguing story Jake we'll start with you sir final thoughts for AJ um, I, th- I think go with the d- many POVs definitely embrace them uh, it's going to help you distinguish the different characters and it's going to help you really get a deeper narrative even if you're going satire dark comedy and humor 
you want those characters to be deep because that's just going to add to the entertainment uh, for your readers. Uh, yeah. So it, it embrace the POVs and separate them out, have them be individuals, and then just go for it. Let them live. <laughs> Awesome. Or die, however. Or die, <laughs> or, or come back from the dead, yes, because yes, exactly. it's all there. <laughs> awesome. What about you, Suzanne? Final thoughts for AJ? Yeah, I think my final thoughts are, I think there's enough information here in this book, enough ideas that you could certainly pull off a darker feel to the book, but comedy is the universal uh, oxygen that fuels horror. I mean, every horror novel has its sections that are so dark and so twisted that you have to have that comedy moment to give the reader a break. Otherwise, they'll just be exhausted by the time they're done. So, you know, don't be afraid to embrace the comedy pieces, but don't feel like it has to be all or nothing. It can be both. It can be funny in places, and it can be intense and dark and serious in places as well. Yeah, yeah, Steven Spielberg yeah. proved that in Jaws. You know, he said, I always made sure to make people laugh right before the shark showed up because it drops their defenses. When you're laughing, you you have no defenses. And then, Bruh! and holy crap. So, yeah, excellent advice. I like that. Uh, for myself, AJ, I'm going to I'm gonna focus you on the relationships that you've established in this story and urge you to bring them even closer. The relationship between Calder and Landon, between Landon and Pete, Landon and... Kim, there, there, you know, you've got four cornerstone characters here through which you're telling your story. Pete needs to be the primary. Uh, Kim can share, and, and I guess you could do that as well. Um, but figuring out how each of these people connect to each other and then bring them, make it tighter, make it closer, define that and explore that through the story. Uh, uh, those characters are what's going to drive the story. Your, your conceit of the zombies is is excellent uh, uh the setting is fabulous the plot is going to be a lot of fun but it's these characters that are going to make the story sell and 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 make the reader commit uh so knowing them intimately and knowing their connections is going to be vital i'm also going to put another plug into the satire concept because you've got some wonderful parallels if the first half of the book is the frat houses fighting each other as things are escalating in the zombie world or maybe the first third uh there's an interesting parallel between between frat houses and government agencies that you could draw out. Uh, there's a wonderful, you know, the whole concept of the smart people and the the slackers and who's who's better and who's not and and the conceits thereof. There is a lot of not issue, but but thematic food for you to explore here. And I think it would be very cool if through the through the romp and delight of of slow fast zombies that eat brains and are very, very smart, you actually wove in some interesting commentary about the status of education and the uh, American perception of knowledge, which is not good. Uh, uh, and you know government aid, blah blah blah. you you get the idea. There's opportunities here, and I hope you explore them. this. This is awesome. Now, here's the here's the deal, AJ, and you know this all too well. You take all of this literary gold, you put it to use, you write this story, and you put it out in the world, whether it's it's a, a PDF on your website, a free podcast that you put out to build a listenership and hopefully attract a publisher to, to sign you on, uh, or, or a traditional pub thing with, with six-figure contracts. Get it out in the world so your vision is seeding other people's imaginations. And when that happens, let us know. We'll bring you back and we will knight you. We will make you a knight of the round table podcast and it'll be a kegger <laughs> just just to wrap up the the college vibe you down with that man absolutely 
Awesome. Very, very cool. Well, AJ, dude, you set a fine table. Obviously, this this has been a lively discussion uh, uh, around the round table of the round table. And, and that doesn't happen unless there's good story food. So thank you so much for stepping up and offering that to us, man. This was a blast. Yeah, I had a great time. Good. Excellent. Hard work is done here. Uh, Jake Bible, dude. It's been far too long. We've been circling each other in the potosphere for far too long. I am so delighted that we were able to get you on here as guest host. Thank you so much for sharing and contributing and and amping the vibe of this brainstorm. It's been fabulous, sir. Oh, yeah. It was was a blast. Anytime, definitely. Awesome. Awesome. I may hold you to that. (laughs) (laughs) And and Suzanne Church, uh, uh, well done, ma'am, on your first inaugural run as co-host. You're a natural at this. This has been a delight, and and I I am looking forward to trotting the Ander Libram paths with you and with all of you guys, but Suzanne, especially you. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it and had a great time. <laughs> it is. It's a good time here at the Roundtable. We throw a good brainstorm party. Well, friends, as long as we're doling out gratitude, thank you for hitting that play button, as always. Without you, we're just four people on a Skype line talking story, which obviously can yield some incredible results, but we share these things and make them a podcast so that you can get some, catch some fire from them as well. And if you did, and if you're feeling the love, feel free to, to blog about us, spread the word, give a, give a review on iTunes or whatever, but let people know about the round table. Let, let, let this fire of imagination spread across the world. So, so <laughs> I, as usual, the I'm exhausted. I'm going to light up the celebratory cigarette at this point because I am spent. Uh, but the delight and wonder of the roundtable is this, that in seven days, this stuff happens all over again. We're going to have another incredible guest host pouring wisdom into our brains, another courageous guest writer striding forward to set the table for our brainstorming feast, more roundtable fabulosity for all all but we do need seven days i mean we do need to sleep once in a while and i know that's that's a horrible burden to make you wait that long suzanne what can our listeners do between now and seven days from now to to make that span of time less arduous and more productive well there's always snacking snacking is a good way to pass the time (laughs) you know and then of course exercise to you know burn the calories from the snacking but it was interesting that after all this talk about zombies and all this talk about point of view um, what we could suggest for our readers is go out and uh, have a look at the book The Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey because it's a very good zombie novel that does an excellent job of telling a story from multiple points of view that's excellent advice. Absolutely. And if you Call ha- it research, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And and finding out how other authors uh, succeed so effectively in, in their writing style uh, is just a way to expand your own skills. That's sage advice, ma'am. And I will tell you, dear friends, as I always do, that you find what you're looking for. So, you know, look for that top shelf. Uh, uh, what, was, what was the what was the beer you're drinking, Jake? <laughs> Thunderstruck Coffee Porter. There we go. Look for that top shelf Thunderstruck Coffee Porter, man. Look for that on the shelf. Look, look for the lost present at the back of the Christmas tree. Look for that sweet, tasty goodness in the world. It's out there, friends. And if you look for it, you will find it. I promise. We will see you in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we will talk to you soon. 
Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.